Okay, well, I think we'll start. Welcome, I'm Mark Tapazian. I'm a gastroenterologist, and I live and work in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, with SIM. How many people here are in clinical years of education or in clinical practice, seeing patients, interacting with patients? Only four of you are actually interacting with patients. Okay, thank you, that's helpful to know. How many of you will be interacting with patients in the future? Okay, about four. Okay, very good. Welcome. This is my disclosure slide. Um, so, uh, saline process and faith prescriptions are both curricula that deal with this topic of spirituality and health. And some of what you're going to hear today is taken straight from the saline process curriculum. And these three people have all done a lot of work in this area. Dr. Walt Larimore, who's a family medicine doctor in Colorado Springs. Tyler Vanderweel, who's an epidemiologist at Harvard Public Health. And uh, Christina Pukowski, who's a uh, palliative care specialist at George Washington University. Spirituality is trending. This is a Google Ngram viewer graph. And what this shows you is over time, can you read these numbers back there? You guys really ought to be sitting closer up. <laughs> I like church, exactly. So this is 1980, and this is 2019 at the far end. And so this, and this is the frequency with which the words religion, spiritual, or spirituality appear in English language publications over time. And what you can see is that in 1980 it was at a low, and actually if I had shown you the graph going back for decades it had been low, that these words appeared in English language publications. And um, before that, if you go back to the 1800s, you know, it was up here, went down. But around 1985 it started going up. And increasingly in English language publications these words appeared, religion, Spiritual, spirituality. So much so that you might say that spirituality was taking off. And this is true in the English language literature, but it's even more true. It's the same sort of graph, but now looking at Chinese language publications over the same period of time. So this is a worldwide trend that spirituality, interest in spirit and spirituality is increasing around the world. And in fact, Spirituality is not just for religious people anymore. Uh, it's for everyone. And there's an upside to that. There's also a dark side to that. You know, there's an increasing number of Americans who are dabbling with the occult and spiritism and witchcraft, and some of them are getting more than they bargained for. Uh, so much so that the Atlantic Monthly published this article a couple of years ago, um, American Exorcism. So Catholic priests around the United States who specialize in exorcism are, at this point, overwhelmed with requests to evaluate people to perform exorcisms. So spirituality is trending. It's not just for religious people anymore. Now, what actually is spirituality? I found, you know, my first three attempts at trying to define spirituality, I kept using the word spirit which, you know, you're not dictionary, you're not supposed to use the same word to define the 
backwards. So, so I thought, wow, wow, that's tougher than I thought. And so I'm going to show you a definition of spirituality that's a consensus definition, secular definition, written by a group of palliative care specialists. But I like it. I think that it's, I think that it's right. So they defined three things about spirituality. First, they said it's a dynamic and intrinsic aspect of humanity. They're saying every person on the globe is spiritual. doesn't matter if they're religious or not. They have a spirit. It's just part of being human. And then the second thing they said is that spirituality is that facility, that faculty of ours through which we seek ultimate meaning, purpose, and transcendence. That word transcendence just means beyond yourself. Connecting to something beyond yourself. And so spirituality, we all have a spirit, that was the first thing. The second thing is how we seek significance in life, meaning in life. That's spirituality. And then their third thing was, it's also how we experience relationship. So spirituality is a relational plane of existence. And they said it's relationship to pretty much everything you can think of. Self, they should have put pets in there, actually. Self, family, others, community, society, nature, and the significant or sacred. So they did include God in their definition. Okay, so spirituality, part of being a human, it's um, the way in which we seek significance, and it's a relational plane. Everybody got that? Okay. So, I looked in my anatomy textbook. In the index, spirit is not even listed. And, you know, I thought, well, where is it if it's part of being human? And, you know, so I went to this. And it's like, you know, well, we've got the Charlie horse and the funny bum. Maybe it's the broken heart. You know? So, where is the spirit in the person? And to get to that answer, we actually have to go back before modern medicine. We have to go back to a very classical way of thinking about what a human being is and how we are put together. And in classical times, there was actually a pretty broad consensus about where spirit fit into being a person. And it's reflected in a verse like this. Um, there's non-biblical, non-Christian texts also, but this one from the Apostle Paul who wrote to the Thessalonian church, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul just throws that in there like, well, everyone knows, you know, your person, your body, soul, and spirit. And um, so he had this sort of tripartite idea of what a human being was. And if we had time today, we would do a word study of those words and look at what they meant in the Hebrew and the Greek. But because... This is not a Bible school, and we don't have that much time. I'm just going to summarize it for you. So, body means to Paul, meant to Paul and to the Hebrews before him, as it means to us, our physical selves. Soul is the life force that animates us. When the alarm clock goes off in the morning and you get out of your bed, it's, the, it's your soul that's kicking into gear. Okay? It's your consciousness, your will, your desires your ambitions, your fears, other emotions, your psychology, something of your personality. Okay, so very broad idea. And the spirit is 
that part of us that relates to other spirits, including God. God is spirit. So again, it's been interesting. You've got this idea that spirit is part of all of us, and it's a relational plane. Are you still with me here? Okay. All right. Now, if we did that word study, we would also see that these three words have a broad semantic range, especially in Hebrew. So that means that they can mean a lot of different things, each of those words, and the meanings overlap. So, for instance, this blew my mind, but the word for soul in Hebrew can also be translated throat. Really? You know? Okay, how does that work? And the word for spirit can be translated breath. You know, I'm breathing in and out here. So what that tells me is that body, soul, and spirit, it's not like someone could operate on me and take out my spirit because it was diseased, sum me up and I'd be fine. I mean, they're knit together in us inextricably, your body, your soul, and your spirit. And, you know, when God made Adam, it's not like he had the soul and the spirit all ready to go, and then he just injected them into a body. No, Adam was actually made out of the elements of the earth, and God breathed into him, and he became human. So your soul and your spirit, they didn't precede your body, and they are inextricably linked to your body. They are part of who you are. Okay? And this is a picture of a shirt I own. And so it's made of white, red, and blue threads. If I asked you to take my shirt and take out all the blue threads, well, when you gave it back to me, it wouldn't be a shirt anymore. Okay? And it's the same with body, soul, and spirit. Now, I said that that spirituality is trending, and it's not just for religious people anymore. And in fact, many non-religious people have spiritual experiences. And this has been studied. And... Um, they will describe these as a deep connection to the divine, if they believe in God, or the universe or the world around them. So there's that relational plane idea again. They say these are profound moments of personal transcendence, connection, and wonder. And they often occur when people are out in nature, or when studying science, fascinatingly, when having peak experiences, and I don't mean just climbing mountains, but any sort of peak experience in life, or when practicing some sort of yoga or meditation. And when asked to go further with it, well, what does it feel like, a spiritual experience? They'd say, feelings of awe, feeling as a small self. I'm pretty insignificant, actually, in the face of what I am connecting to on that relational plane. And spiritual humility. Now, I used to sort of discount this stuff. I used to think, ah, this is kind of not all that insightful or deep. It's sort of a bit phony, but I have changed my mind 180 degrees about these spiritual experiences of non-religious people. I think this tells us they have a spirit, and it's reaching out, and I think it's very important common ground for religious and non-religious people in the spiritual realm. So, I think this stuff is really interesting and valid. Now, um, we've looked at, well, What is spirituality? And we've talked about the relationship of body, soul, and spirit. And what I want to talk about next is what does it matter in healthcare? I mean, most of us in healthcare were focused appropriately on taking care of people's bodily bodies, their bodily issues, right? So, okay, it's very nice you have a definition of spirituality, but what what difference does it make to me 
I'm in healthcare. Okay? And we're going to look at the scientific evidence that says actually it's very important in healthcare to be interested in your patient's spirituality. And the first reason why is your patient's own concept of health. This data is from a recent large survey done in America of adults who had a healthcare provider. And um, in this survey, 92% of these people agreed that health is so much more than just not being sick. And the vast majority said that they wished their healthcare provider would talk to them about integrative aspects of health, including spirituality. But only 10% in this survey said that their healthcare provider talked to them about what brings them joy or their spirituality. They said doctors especially, they tend to talk about three things, test results, medications, and exercise. That's it. Okay, so what this tells us is that our patients, by and large, have a much broader view of health than we do. And there, many of them are very interested and open to talking about spirituality because they think of it as part of health. Now, it turns out also that there's a strong link between religious activity and death, mortality, a strong positive link. Um, and this is rather remarkable. How many people here knew this coming in here? Okay, good. I'm glad to see a few have been exposed to this medical literature. But um, these are large epidemiologic studies. So, for instance, the one in Mexico, 19% reduction in all-cause mortality in older adults. And in various countries, you can see it ranges between 20 and 40% reduction in mortality in religiously active people. So, the way they did these studies, let's take the Israel one, for example. They took a group of 10,000 men who worked for the Israeli government. And they had them fill out lengthy questionnaires, including about their religious activity. And then they followed them for 20 years. And at the end of the 20 years, they went back to those surveys that had been filled out at the start. And they correlated the religious activity of these men with how many had died by 20 years later. And um, they categorized them. So over here you had the, the men who said, Oh, I'm, every week, I'm at, at least once a week, I'm in a religious service, if not more. And then, at the other end, you had men who said, what? I never darkened the door of a, of a religious establishment. Okay? And then there were gradations in between. And the guys at this end, their mortality rate was 32% lower than the guys at that end. And there was a gradation in the data. It's rather striking, isn't it? And the, the USA study... This is from Tyler Vanderweel's group. They looked at data from the nurses' health study, so now predominantly women. This is over 100,000 American nurses, followed in this case for 12 years. Same thing. Those who at least once a week participated in religious activity were 33% less likely to die by the 12th. Their mortality rate was 33% lower, I should say, than those who never did anything. So this is really striking because mortality, death, is a very hard outcome in medicine and healthcare. It doesn't get much more harder than that. And so, you know, uh, a guy named David Larson, who, co who looked at it, did a meta-analysis on this data, said, you know, if religion was a pill, we'd give it to all our patients. Okay, so our patients have a broad concept of health. Religious activity correlates with a very important health outcome, which is death. 
Then there's this thing called religious struggle. And how many people have heard of spiritual distress or religious struggle? All right, you should be giving this talk. So um, this can be diagnosed by asking a patient questions like this. Do you feel God has abandoned you? Do you think God is punishing you with this illness? Do you think the devil made this happen to you? And if someone answers yes to any question like that, they can be diagnosed, at least in these research studies, with religious struggle. Call, call that in the medical literature, in the nursing literature, it tends to be called spiritual distress. And in one American prospective study, patients who were diagnosed with a religious struggle or spiritual distress had a 28% higher mortality rate after two years compared to those who were not diagnosed with it. Matched control patients. Wow. So is there a connection between spirituality and health? Apparently so. So here's another very important data point. Now, in no American studies, about 15% of patients answered yes to questions like this and were diagnosed with religious struggle. There's a Swiss study where it was 50% of patients were diagnosed. Where I live, we haven't, I haven't persuaded a medical student to do this study yet, but it's going to be over 90%, I think, where I live, uh, patients who, who believe that, uh, who, are, who are dealing with these issues. Um, and it's not only people who are facing a serious disease that will kill them. There's literature showing that survivors of childhood cancer, healthy adults now, physically healthy, if they, some of them are experiencing religious struggle about their childhood cancer. They have a lower quality of life than similar adults who survive childhood cancer and aren't suffering from religious struggle. So is, is spirituality important in health? Seems to be. Um, then there's a large literature on religion, spirituality, and coping with illness. And it shows in meta-analysis that religion and spirituality help patients cope with all sorts of medical things. Pain, disability, chronic illnesses, psychiatric illness, end-of-life issues. Now you might say to me, well, wait a minute. Coping is not my thing. I didn't go into healthcare to help. My kid went into healthcare to cure people, not to help them cope. But let me tell you, if you've been a patient, you would have a little different view on that. Because most of our curative therapies involve some extent of risk, expense, discomfort, temporary disability in some cases. And your patient is going to have to cope with that if they're going to have the successful outcome you intend. And if you care for people whose disease can't be cured, who has to be managed, Helping them cope with that and carry on with life makes all the difference. So coping is actually a big deal. And people who are connected to their spirituality cope better with illness. And then this one is quite familiar, I think, to all of you. Religious beliefs commonly impact clinical treatment decisions. And the prototypical example is blood products, right? There are some people who would say their religious beliefs mean they will not accept a blood product. And you need to know that as a healthcare worker. You need to have enough interest in your patient's spirituality that, that you're aware of that. If a patient gets taken to the operating room and nobody knows about their spirituality and they're given blood during that surgery, that is below the standard of care in this country. All right? So you have an obligation as a healthcare provider to know something about your patient's spirituality. And, you know, where I live... 
There's people for religious reasons decline biopsies, insist on having fetishes or amulets. And, you know, around the world, even the idea of consent, what informed consent is, is religiously informed. So this is, it's not just blood products. So all of this has led large secular healthcare organizations to tell us that as healthcare workers, we must take an interest in our patient's spirituality. Patients of view of health, the fact that religious activity is linked to mortality, religious struggle is linked to mortality, beliefs affect medical decisions. It's like a no-brainer. You've got to be interested in your patient's spirituality. And so the American Association of Medical Colleges says that medical students should know the impact of spirituality on health. Do we have any medical students here? Okay. You guys knew all this already, right? Okay. And you should have the ability to elicit a spiritual history. And don't worry, we're going to practice that in a few minutes. So if you haven't done it before, you will do it now. Um, the British General Medical Council is the authoritative governing body on medical practice in the UK. They're not a religious organization. They say in assessing a patient's conditions and taking a history, you should take account of spiritual, religious, social and cultural factors, as well as their clinical history and symptoms. Do we have nurses here? All right, excellent. The International Council of Nurses Code of Ethics states that the nurse promotes an environment in which the human rights, values, customs, and spiritual beliefs of the individual, family, and community are respected. You know, you can't respect someone's spiritual beliefs unless you know what they are. So you have to take an interest. NANDA International is the world's leading nursing diagnosis organization. They define nursing diagnoses, they collate and categorize them. And NANDA says that spiritual distress and readiness for enhanced spiritual well-being are nursing diagnoses that inform treatment plans. World Health Organization, and then the Joint Commission. Since we're in the United States, I'll show the Joint Commission slide. This, this organization accredits hospitals throughout the the U.S., and the Joint Commission says care, treatment, and services should also be carefully planned and provided with regard to the patient's personal values, beliefs, and preferences. The hospital performs a learning needs assessment for each patient, which includes the patient's cultural and religious beliefs. So taking an interest in, in spirituality of your patient is actually not optional. It's actually best practice. And so much so that assessing spirituality is now considered a cultural competence of healthcare providers. Well, what does that mean, cultural competence? Well, it's the ability to understand, appreciate, and interact with people from cultures or beliefs different than your own. The idea is you need to understand your patient, even if they're different than you. Different values, different beliefs, different background, different worldview. You need to understand that if you're going to be able to take care of them in the best way. So healthcare workers, regardless of their personal beliefs or biases, should be able to constructively assess and understand the beliefs of their patients and take these into account when evaluating and treating them. So that means it doesn't matter if you're an atheist, agnostic, Christian, Jewish, Hindu, Muslim, animist, whatever you are, you need to take an interest in your patient's spirituality. Okay, so uh, I hope I've convinced you that spirituality matters in health. Any questions about that?
Is everyone awake? Okay, so now, there, you know, there's a lot of implications for what I was just talking about in day-to-day -day practice of your healthcare work. But the thing we're going to focus on uh, at the What time is it actually? 2.50, okay. The um, thing we're going to focus on is something called taking a spiritual history. And we're going to practice it here together in a few minutes. The purpose is to assess your patient's spirituality and the why we've already talked about. For most of it, it's part of a social history. How many people here do some sort of intake or history taking from a patient or have ever done it? A few. Okay, many not. Les, I know you have taken a history many times. Okay, so, um, you know, for those of you who haven't, it's a very standardized thing that you learn in school, right? You get the chief complaint, the history of present illness, the review of systems, the medications, the family history, the social history. You're collecting information. It's a series of questions, right? Like, do you have a cough? Oh, yeah. Oh, if they say no, okay. Are you having stomach pain? You move on to the next thing. But if they say, yes, I have a cough, then you've got some extra questions you've got to ask, right? Oh, is anything coming up? What color is it? You can alter the nitty-gritty of phlegm, right? Right? So... It, you don't even want to know about the GI questions. So, um, so, um, but so, 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 spiritual history is going to fit into that, and most of us do it in the social history section of a patient assessment. So, social history, you're asking questions like, do you work? What kind of work do you do? Do you smoke? Do you drink? So, it's going to fit into that. All right, finding out about your patient's spirituality. And it consists of asking questions like the rest of the intake. And I can tell you right now, when we practice this, some of you are going to end up preaching to your patient. And that's not part of the spiritual history. That's like, eh, you know, you, you just committed the spiritual history sin because you preach to your patient. You're not there to share your own beliefs, to preach, to argue a theological point to pray for your patient, you're there to collect information, understand your patient and where they're at. Got it? That's what it's about. Asking questions, collecting information. And so what we're going to do, oh, and so there's a number of systems for doing this, acronyms. There's Open Invite, there's Hope, there's... Uh, Bathe, etc. But we're going to use the system called FICA because when you're starting out at something like this, it helps to have a system. And so F stands for faith and belief. Uh, one, um, there's many ways to ask these questions. 30 years ago, the way people asked these questions, they said, "In what religion are you?" And you know, these days, that's just not the best way to ask this question. So, at least in this country. So, um, one of my friends loves to do this by saying, "Is faith a part of your?" That's how he asks this question, pretty much every time. Somebody else uh, who writes about this asks it as a pair of questions instead. Were you raised in a faith or religious tradition, and are you practicing now? And for some people of a certain demographic, that's very useful, because, you know, maybe they don't have any connection now, but when 
Somewhere other time in their life they did think more about their spirituality. But then also maybe the word faith, depending where you're working and what your population is like, maybe the word faith itself is a problem. And you can say, are you, can you think of yourself as a spiritual person? Alright, that's about, that's the half of the FICA. Um, sometimes, you, so you pick one of these and you ask it, and sometimes someone says no. Okay, do you smoke? Do you drink? What's your profession? You know, it's fine, we're just collecting information. You've got a data point now about your patient. No connection to faith. Alright, fine. Um, I is importance. If they say yes to some of this, and by the way, if they say faith, is faith a part of your life? Yes. Then you have the opportunity to say, oh, tell me more. Give me a little more information. Um, importance. What importance does belief have in your life? You could ask. If you're a really quant kind of person, you could say, on a scale of 1 to 10, how important is faith in your life? Um, does it help you in a difficult time like this? I mean, after all, you're here seeing me as a patient. It's not the best day in your life, right? So, does it help you in difficult times like this? Are there spiritual issues you are struggling with? And Dr. Larimore here will put in those religious struggle questions, actually. Do you, are, do you feel like God has abandoned you or is punishing you with his illness? Um, community of faith, C. Are you part of a spiritual or religious community? Is it support and encourage you? Sometimes you actually find out that the patient feels abandoned by their spiritual community in their illness. Wow. And then you're really tempted to speak into that. No, you're collecting information. You're not speaking into anything when you do this. But you've got a data point. You with me? Okay. And then A is addressing care. How would you like us to use this information as we care for you? Okay, so we're going to practice this now. So you're going to get into groups of three. How many people here, raise your hand again, if you see patients or have seen patients regularly? Okay, the rest of you, I want you to get into a group with one of those people. Because they're used to doing a patient assessment. Running through questions, and it's going to be, you know, you should be with someone who's done that. So put up your hand again if you've done that. Less. Yeah. And so those of you who haven't, look at who those people are and split up. Like, I don't want all six of you guys just doing it together, okay? I want you to split up and go with these other people. Um, and then, you're going to be in groups of three. Thank you for moving around and doing that. And my team at the back there, you can start passing those out if you want one packet to each group of three. Oh no, some people are leaving. Did I, did I say something offensive? So, okay. So here's what you're... You three guys need to split up, I think, or, or not. You're trying. Oh, well, over here in the front, we have two highly experienced people. They can split up. I know you're related. It doesn't matter, guys. You can split up. Come on. Chuck, get up. And this gentleman in front has years of clinical experience. You can pair up with him. It's okay if there's two of you. My friend, come up front here. 
Okay. So now here's what you're going to do in your group. Don't read those slips of paper. No. They're secret. Don't read the slips of paper. All right. Now, here's what you're going to do. If you're in three, one of you is going to be the patient. And the patient's going to take one of those slips and read it secretly and find out what, who they're role-playing, which patient, okay? One of you is going to be the caregiver. Your job is to take the history, the spiritual history of that patient. And the third one of you is an observer. And when they're done, you're going to give them some feedback. And then you're all going to switch around. And each of you is going to play each of the three roles. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Are you still with me, Les, or, or not? Yeah, okay. So, um, you should know that your patient may be religious, they may be irreligious, they may be very open, they may be very wary to answering your questions. And the observer, I want you to notice, how does it go for them? What's their level of comfort? Does the caregiver use these FICA questions? I'm going to put them back up. Okay? And then... Is the caregiver preaching or prescribing or praying with the patient? This is not about that. This is about getting some information about your patient. Okay? Does everyone have scenarios? Okay, go. And keep rotating. You've got six scenarios. Take the mic. What was hard about it? 
needing faith had sort of lost their faith. And I, I'm, I'm sharing this only so you can say, Sue, that was exactly no, the right thing to do. What, you do. what I told them to do was because that's your natural instinct to just go ahead and just say, oh, this really must be really hard for you. Let's go ahead and finish the rest of these questions. And then I said, come back without your lab coat on as a person-to-person conversation about their faith at that point. Sue, that's beautiful. So, so yes, so you are allowed in spiritual history a brief empathic statement. I mean, if the tears coming down their face, their face, could they, I, I feel like God's punishing me with this illness. Of course you need to respond empathically. That must be really hard. Yeah, but it's not the time to start addressing the theology of illness. It's time, and as you said, we may have, we have the opportunity later on to circle back. When the person says, yes, I smoke, we don't immediately launch into the smoking thing in our intake, right? We're moving on to the next thing. It's the same with this. There's a huge benefit to just collecting the information and not going on to immediately start to engage the patient around the issue. So it is the case that you might come back to the issue later in your, in your wrap-up time. What's our treatment plan? You know, we've gone... So in medicine and nursing, there's this basic idea, diagnosis precedes treatment, right? We don't start writing prescriptions and, and doing therapy until we know what the diagnosis is. It's the same with this. You're doing a spiritual inventory, a spiritual diagnosis. So what about when you circle back later? And what do you do with the information you've gotten in spiritual history? Well, oftentimes you do nothing with it. You let it sit. You know something about your patient. They, have, they don't even recognize themselves as a spiritual being. Okay, I know that about my patient. At least the fact I ask them helps them to know, I think I recognize them as a spiritual being. Uh, and that's fine. Sometimes that's it. But there's other times where we are able to circle back, and we just don't have time today to do all that. Maybe that will be a session next year. But... Um, so oftentimes it's an issue of helping our patient connect the dots between spirituality and health. And you know, the thing here about, oh, the research says it's, it's relevant to your health. And maybe when we circle back, we're like, you know, you're facing this, I want you to be healthy on all fronts. And that includes your spirit. What can I do to help you with that? Again, questions are more helpful than a lot of statements, even at that stage. Randy is nodding wisdom of his many years with this kind of thing. Um, can I help you connect back to the spiritual resources in your life? We are not there to convert our patients. We're there to be Jesus. You know, the, the, uh, the, the, uh, um, the love and grace and truth of Jesus. We're not there to evangelize primarily. So, so if that's connecting them back to their leader in their faith tradition, you might not agree with their denomination or faith tradition. But if you can connect them back to that, that's what you should do as their health care provider. Um, you may be able to address harmful perceptions. I think personally we should always pray for, for our patients. There are times when I will pray with my patients, not during the spiritual history, maybe during a wrap-up later on, maybe, maybe not, and then, you know, there's a lot of ways to ask about prayer. Sometimes we're tempted to ask about prayer in a way that is not the most helpful. For instance, I'm going to pray with you now. 
I've heard sage surgeons say that to patients in the pre-op area. Oh dear. Sure, doc, you can do whatever you want. And um, I have the same issue with the question: Is it okay if I pray for you? Well, that to me is more about my need to pray with you than about you and your need. So. From a young colleague, I love, I, this is the way I ask it now. I ask my patients, would it help if I prayed with you? Because it's really about my patient and about their need. It's not about what I need to do. Um, and you will find your own terminology for that. But these are just a few brief comments into a much larger topic. Now, in closing, if you're interested in this spiritual history thing and you want to know, Dr. Walt Larimore just a few weeks ago gave a, a beautiful webinar on this that's on the International Christian Medical Dental Association's website. You go to their website, you look under webinars, you'll find this. He's a master at this. Lots of stories about spiritual history. And, you know, I would encourage you, if you're getting started in this, just try taking about 100 spiritual histories from 100 consecutive patients. Don't do anything with it. Just make a diagnosis about your patient's spiritual state, and it's a data point. And resist the temptation to do anything with it. And see what God does with that. It's a beautiful way to get into this. So, so Walt's webinar could be a resource for you. And then I've already mentioned Sailing Process. Faith Prescriptions is a series of 20-minute videos made by CMDA. And there's a really nice one about spiritual history. There's a nice one about praying with patients. And you can use those as an avenue for discussion if you're in a small group study or something. Um, and if you know a CMDA member, they can get you access for free. CMDA also has this little booklet, The Value of Taking Spiritual History and How to Do It. I don't know. They might even have it here at, the, at their display. So... We're a minute over. Thank you very much for coming. If you could fill out the evaluation and even either give it to the woman at back in the orange t-shirt or there's a green bucket back there. Have a great afternoon.